morning is taken from Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied, as with the richest of foods. With singing, my, lip, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. This is the word of God. spoke earlier about preparing meals and uh, one of the ways that I like to think of a sermon is preparing a meal for the people God has called me to serve who I love and the problem with being a perfectionist is it's never good enough Uh, and you spend all your time just wanting it to be perfect. There's never a Saturday night or early Sunday morning you will not find me trying to put the finishing touches, just trying to get this phrase correct. Uh, And that can be a real curse. But I'm learning, and I'm on a journey of learning to uh, be okay with my best, uh, knowing that God will work through that, even if it doesn't always feel like it's the best. Uh, And I was really, had a great challenge from the elders, part of a a five-year review, to try and get away from my iPad where I can and just speak from the heart. And it's a bit of a journey that I'm just starting to take, but I'm, I'm, I'm up for it. And uh, sometimes I think, oh, I've got this line, I really want to say it, because that's really good. Um, and then if I put my iPad down, I'm like, oh, but I might forget it, and I might not say it. But I think what I'm learning is that I just have to get to the heart of the message, because God's got a message for you that he's prepared through me. And as long as we all hear the heart of that, it'll be okay. It's not really about particular lines. Uh, So that's kind of how I'm going to start trying to preach. Um, So let's see where that takes us. Um, So I just simply share that because I'm wanting to be stretched and I want to grow. And I'm going to speak to you about some things this morning that I think for many of you are going to cause you to feel stretched. And I want you to engage with that. I want you to engage with this series. Well, it's Christmas time again, obviously, as the tree here depicts. And uh, I think each year at Christmas, there's, uh, I guess, a tendency to either kind of just go through the motions. Oh, this again, we've been through this, and, and we kind of know how it plays out. Uh, but also, there's, there's a window of opportunity, isn't there, to kind of take this opportunity that really is all about Jesus and actually make it all about Jesus. Um, That's kind of been the phrase that's been going through my mind this week is, Christmas is all about Jesus. So let's make it all about 
Jesus. Now, I'm not preaching this morning about Simeon and Anna, but as I've been praying for you and how God will work through you um, during this series, he's given me Simeon and Anna just as a, a model, an example, uh, some people in the scripture to emulate. I want to read for you about Simeon and Anna. Uh, And this is from Luke chapter 2. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Now, as I observe Simeon and Anna, It's just a couple of things that I observe in these two characters that I hold out to you um, as a model for how we respond to Jesus. It says of Simeon that he was a man full of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus hadn't come and sent the Holy Spirit yet. And here is essentially an Old Testament believer filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and what that says to me is, here is a guy who was just completely sold out for the Lord. <laughs> and as a result, he was filled with God's Spirit. And he held Jesus in his arms. And he looked into the eyes of baby Jesus and he said, My eyes have seen salvation. Take me home, Lord. <laughs> It's just a beautiful picture, isn't it, of this man who is just so full on for the Lord. And God blesses him by enabling him to actually hold Jesus. What a gift. And I wonder what gift God has in store for you uh, as you earnestly seek him and seek Jesus, his salvation for you. And then I look at Anna, this beautiful woman, who spent her entire adult life in the temple, fasting and praying and seeking God. And here are basically two old nobodies, right? And, and, and here they are in the infancy narrative. And I believe that they're here for us as models and examples. And so my heart is for you, regardless of your age, but especially if you're in a category where you kind of think uh, old dogs can't be taught new tricks, throw that idea away. We've come to worship God. And I want to trust and pray that you might be open to what he wants to say to you, not only today, but all throughout this season. It's all about him. So let's make it all 
about him. The title of this series, Come to Worship, is taken from Matthew 2.2, where the wise men come before King Herod and they ask, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. I just love the posture of the wise men. I remember a few years ago just being completely startled by this, uh, that they simply came and they journeyed for some time, not for what they could receive, but for what they could give. And I feel as though a lot of Western Christianity has kind of been reduced to God being a genie. I want you to bless me, Lord. I want you to take away my suffering and and pain and struggles. I want you to make my life comfortable. And yet what we see here is that worship is not about what we can get. Worship is about what we can give. We were made to worship. We were made to worship God. He does not exist for us. We exist for him. And I truly believe that no matter how, and I'll acknowledge that each of us is on a journey of worship, right? Wherever you are on your journey of worship, I believe that there is always more. There is always more surrender that we can offer There is always more of our hearts that we can truly give in worship, isn't there? And so I'm really praying, and I trust that God answers my prayer. I'm really praying that we will all, each, on our journey of worship, come to a deeper place of surrender and worship. Lord, would you build within us as your people, the desire to know you and to worship you more authentically from the heart. Well, as you can see from this neat little artwork piece, and I'm really grateful to Life Church, who make all kinds of resources free for churches, and that's where you'll see a lot of these great artworks, and they do all kinds of things for free for churches, like the countdown that we had at the beginning of the service, various study or sermon outlines, all for free, and it's just a great resource. So as you'll see from this slide here, there are four um, images down below, and basically each image represents a posture of worship. So you can see there's a person kneeling, and so one of the weeks we're going to talk about bowing our knee before God. Uh, There's a heart there, and that reflects pouring out our hearts to God. There's a person offering up a gift And that is the idea of bringing our gifts to worship. And obviously the best gift that we can bring to worship is our lives, is ourselves. And today we're going to be talking about lifting up our hands. Lifting up our hands before a holy God in a heart of worship. Um, Now I want to just add a footnote here that of course worship extends well beyond what happens in a worship service. Uh, And we know that God has called each one of us to live a life of worship. But I would like to suggest uh, and, and believe that 
there is an intentional purpose of God's people corporately gathering to worship his name uh, that does something for our worship at large. It connects us to the body of Christ. It, in a sense, fuels us with uh, an infusion of God's spirit in a way that we cannot experience when we're just by ourselves. Uh, And it kind of propels us to actually go and live the life of worship that we're meant to. Uh, from Monday through to Saturday. But the conversation that we'll be having over the the coming weeks is very specific to the gathered body and the gathered time of worship. And it's good for us to spend that time. And I know that for some of us, our faith gets expressed practically. And we're more practically oriented people. We might tend to think of singing, for example, and and worship through singing as more of an emotional thing. And I'm not really into that. I'm more of a doer. I'm more of a practical person. Well, here's what God told me this morning on the toilet. Uh, Sorry, that was a bit too much information. But here's what I've been just saturating myself in this. Great worshippers of God will be great workers for God. Great worshippers of God will be great workers for God. Anything we do for God has to be birthed out of worship, right? So we start with worship and then we get on with the practicality of mission and justice and, and telling others about Jesus through outreach. Now I really appreciate that We're all different, and some of us are far more expressive in our worship than others, and that's okay. And as I mentioned earlier, we're all on a journey. But here's a strong conviction that I I sense, and I want to challenge this. I think many of us have been conditioned by the church rather than Scripture when it comes to how we worship. Many of us have been conditioned by the church. So what, whatever church context you grew up in, how those people worshipped, and even the church in which you worship today, we often allow that to be the thing that determines our posture in worship rather than what the Scriptures teach. I've had this thought this week, and imagine if someone became a Christian for the very first time without ever attending a church service and without ever reading their Bible. Strangely enough, that's how it would happen in many cases for a lot of people today in the post-Christian world we live in. The majority of people do not tend to church, never have, and the majority of people do not read their Bibles, ever have. Let's just say someone came to faith and decided, well, how do I worship? What's it going to look like? And they just decided to do a study in the Bible of how God's people worship. And somehow, through some help, they were directed towards the Bible's hymnal. The hymnal of the Israelites and the Christian people of God has always been the Psalms. So if you were to go through the Psalms and just do a study of of how do God's people worship, then you would absolutely have to draw the conclusion that lifting your hands in worship is the norm. And, and you, if you hadn't been to a church service, you'd actually be anticipating and expecting to see if these people are really genuine, this is how they'd be worshipping. So 
what I understand from the Scriptures is that raising your hands in worship is normal. Not raising your hands in worship is not normal. Now, that might challenge some of you and that might make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. But as I said, I think I need to push back on this conditioning of church culture rather than just pure obedience to what the Scriptures teach. Do we want to be a people whose worship is shaped by a surrounding culture, even if that's the church culture we're in? Or are we going to be worshippers whose worship is shaped and directed by Scripture. Now, there is a challenge for all of us. Now, as I said, we're each on a journey, and I want to say very respectfully, let's allow plenty of room for grace and support. Can I respectfully invite you to be open over these coming weeks? To be open. Can I encourage you to be prepared to grow? God's not finished with you yet. And you haven't reached the end of what it means to be a worshipper yet. And you haven't yet discovered all the fullness and the glory of God yet. There is always more of God. And I also want to say this is not a denominational thing. The Bible knows nothing of Baptists, Uniting, Anglican, Catholic, Presbyterian, Pentecostal. It knows nothing. It simply speaks to people who place their trust and faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. So please don't say to me, well, I'm not a Pentecostal, so I won't raise my hands in worship. Uh, And don't say to me, I'm a Baptist, so I won't raise my... Rubbish. The Bible will have nothing of it. And I want us to be Bible people, people who are shaped and informed by what the Bible teaches. Let's be a church of biblical worshippers. Is that not what you want to be, Erinor Community Baptist Church? A church of biblical worshippers, so that when people do actually come and see us, they go, wow, something different about these people. And then they go and read God's Word. Ah, Right, that's why they do it, because the Bible actually tells them to. That makes sense. As I mentioned earlier, I, I just I, I offer up to you, Simeon and Anna. I really believe that God has given um, me those two for you as an example, particularly for some of our older members of the congregation. I believe the Lord is just wanting to point you to this beautiful, these beautiful two people who are so full of the Lord and so filled with the Spirit and to imagine and to envision what your life might look like for you to become a Simeon or an Anna in your worship. And I just want to say, no judgment. No judgment. If we're going to each grow on our journey to worship, this needs to be a very safe space where we can each have the freedom to know that as we begin to explore what it means to be a worshipper after God's own heart, that we can expect from our brothers and sisters that they will simply be there cheering us on, not casting judgment over us. 
Now, why, why do we lift our hands in worship? What's the point? What does it actually accomplish? It's really important that we don't miss this point. We lift our hands as a reflection of what's happening in our hearts. So real worship is actually about what's going on in your heart. Didn't you just love that song, The Heart of Worship? It's all about Jesus, and it's all about just coming back, stripping things back to just surrendering to him. So worship is actually about what's going on in your heart. Now, it's far better to actually pay attention to your heart than just kind of be really, you know, yes, I've got my hands in the air, I'm praising God, I look like I'm doing the right thing, but there's actually a lot of junk in your heart that you haven't dealt with. And so we have to be authentic worshippers. And that means there are going to be times when your heart is actually not in a good space to be like this. And I would encourage you, if you're someone who quite naturally raises your hands in praise, to really just spend time on your heart. God's looking at our hearts. That's what the Scriptures teach. But um, it's not to stop there. (laughs) So when our hearts are bursting with joy in the Lord then that actually needs to get expressed. It needs to find some form of physical expression. And people throughout generations have found that raising their hands, um, and there's all kinds of levels, aren't there? You might start like here. No one can see me. I'm just, my hands are at least open to you, God. Uh, and then you'll get to the stage where it's just like full, full surrender. <laughs> um, but this is, this is what it is to worship. When something's going on in our heart, we can't help but begin to give some kind of physical expression to that. So just want to take you to Psalm 63 that Anna read, and let's just listen to the first four verses of this beautiful psalm, Psalm 63, written by David, a very difficult time in his life. He's in the desert of Judah. He's fleeing from his own son. His own son wants to kill him. He's in the desert alone. That's the space that this psalm comes out of. Psalm 63, you God are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. What a beautiful psalm of praise. We see, if we just go back to verse 1, thanks Dave. You God are my God. What an incredible statement Um, of God not only being the the sovereign God of all creation, but 
You, God, are my God. He is a personal God, and you are God over my whole life. Can you just imagine the state of David's heart right now? There's a sense of desperation, not because of his circumstance, but there is a sense of being just so completely dependent on God <laughs> in all of life's circumstances, good and bad. Uh, the, the, the language here is just, it, it's so beautiful, it's so descriptive. My whole being just longs for you. Now, he is literally in a dry and parched land where there is no water, but I think he's very much talking about the soul. Perhaps he's in a place of actually not feeling close to God, of not feeling as though God is close to him. And we can all relate to that. Some of us are in that space now where faith feels very dry. If you're not in that space now, chances are you've been in that space or chances are you're going to enter into that space at some point in time. We have feelings, we have emotions and that's okay, that's how God made us. But what I see David doing in that space where he feels dry, where he feels parched, is actually stepping things up and declaring that you, God, are my God. He's leading his heart toward the things of God. He goes on in verse 2. He said, I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. What David is saying here is, I've seen your goodness and your glory, God. I know you're a good God. You've proven yourself time and time again, your faithfulness to your people. And what I see here is a wonderful example, again, when we're in those dry places. One of the ways that we can lead our hearts toward God is to recall and recount the things of God, God's goodness, God's faithfulness. Now, it's right throughout the Scriptures and obviously we can, we can go back and we can look at the scriptures and thank God for his faithfulness to his people through all generations. But like David, God, you are my God. We can also talk to God about, we can recall those personal experiences where God has proved himself faithful in our lives, in our circumstances. It's both. It's looking at what the scriptures teach, but it's also recounting the times that God has been so faithful. Verse 3 because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Here is a guy who just gets it. Like God's love is everything. <laughs> There's nothing better than knowing and experiencing the love of God. Your love, Lord, is better than life. It's better than living. And all I want to do is glorify you. I will use my lips. I will use everything within me to give you praise. I've got to tell you, God, how much I love you, how much I long for you, how much I yearn for more of you in my life. Because knowing your love is better than life itself. It's that 
good. Imagine if we each knew God's love so intimately, so well, that we could join David in saying, your love, Lord, is better than all of the riches and all of the pleasures and and all of the good things that this world can offer. Your love and knowing and experiencing that love is all there is and it's all that my soul yearns for. And if I know your love, then kind of nothing else matters. It's just such an incredible space that he's in. Then he goes on in verse 4 and he says, I will praise you as long as I live. Now remember, he's not in a good place. He's not in a good place. But I will praise you as long as I live. And I'm thanking you because you're a good God. And I'm going to lift up my hands in your name. This is just a pure act of worship. When we're in that desert place, one of the best things we can do is just total, unabandoned worship. You know, we can't experience grace, God's riches at Christ's expense without showing some form of gratitude for all that he has done. And when you understand who God is truly and all that he's done for you, you won't be able to help but join the psalmist in saying, I will speak your praise with my lips. I will raise and lift up my hands in worship of you. I want to read to you from the New Testament. In this instance, the Apostle Paul is giving Timothy instructions on how to help Christians worship. We read in 1 Timothy 2.8, Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I want the men everywhere to pray. Now, in a lot of translations, there are times where men, actually, if you go back to the original Greek language, it kind of means everyone, mankind. This isn't one of those instances. We're reading from the NIV 2011, which is a more gender-inclusive translation. And so when it says men, it means men. (laughs) Um, Why is it that Paul wants the men to raise their hands? Is he actually excluding the women from raising their hands? No, I don't believe so. I think what Paul is getting at here is men set the tone. Men are to be leaders. And I think Paul knows that men can be stubborn and prideful. Is that not true? Men can be downright stubborn and prideful, and I'm one of them and I know I can be. And Paul is saying, I want the men to raise their hands because the men will set the tone of my house. Imagine a church where all the men have their hands raised to God in worship. Imagine the example the fathers are going to set for their children. Imagine the example of a church full of men with their hearts surrendered. Now, what's interesting to me is all the teaching and writing on worship is written by men. Now, men may not be as emotive or as touchy-feely as women. And many of us will say, well, I'm a man. I don't do that stuff. But King David, he's a man's man. He's a 
as manly as you get. You know, this guy's a warrior. People sang songs over how many people he killed. If there's ever a man's man, King David is that guy. And here we find someone who's just so passionate and emotional in his worship. So David talks about it. Paul talks about it. Men set the standard of worship in the church. And so often it's women setting the standard of worship in church. That's not a bad thing. Goodness me. Women, you are welcome to worship with your hands raised. And that's wonderful. But men, let's not allow just the women to raise their hands. But again, if we're going to be a church of biblical worshipping believers, then there's actually an imperative on the men to set the tone in worship. Why does God want us to do this? Why does he want us to lift our hands to him in worship. Well, I believe that it pleases him. The scriptures talk all about God as our heavenly father. And what loving father or parent would reject or refuse the outstretched arms of their child? Here's a little example that God gave me on Friday. Doesn't happen every week, but here's how I was greeted on Friday morning by my three boys. Bron goes to work very early on Friday mornings. And uh, so here's how I was greeted on Friday morning. This is in the early sixes. And uh, I'm at the coffee machine, which is generally where you'll find me at that time of day, if not out (laughs) running. But um, Brendan came out. And again, this doesn't happen every day. He just came up and he just gave me a hug. And he said, you know, morning, Dad. Thanks for being such a great dad. Isn't that beautiful? Andrew kind of stumbles out from his bedroom. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Daniel's in his cot screaming for milk. That's how I was greeted by the three. Now, I, I am the father of Brendan and Andrew and Daniel, and I love all my boys equally. But I tell you what, was my heart turned towards Brendan when he came and opened his arms towards me. And I believe the same thing can happen with our Heavenly Father. He loves all of us equally. He doesn't have favourites. We're all equal before God. But we're like Brendan, when we come to our Heavenly Father with outstretched arms and say, Dad, I love you. You're a great dad. Is that not a picture of, of, of worship. And does that not just please our Father's heart? So when we turn our hands towards God, I believe He turns His heart toward us. Do you want to experience more of God's heart? Turn your posture by lifting your hands toward Him. So why do we worship God? Why do we lift our hands? Well, I think firstly, it passes the parent test. It passes the parent test. We just put ourselves in the shoes of a parent, and there's a wonderful example of why we should do it. 
But James 4, another man goes on to say, come near to God and he will come near to you. Or an older translation that many of us will be more familiar, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. As we draw near to our heavenly father, he will draw near to us. Okay, the iPad's going down with just a couple more things that I want to share. Um, one of the reasons that we can lift our hands in worship is as a sign of surrender. You might be in a battle. You might be going through a really difficult time. You might be in a really dark place. And I love the story in Exodus 17 where the Israelites are fighting and God tells Moses, you've got to have your hands raised, all right, or the Amalekites are going to win. And so while... Um, uh, Abraham, or sorry, Moses' arms are, are, are lifted in the air. You, you're going to win the battle. If your hands go down, you're going to lose. And as you would probably know, if you were to do this for an entire day, it would just get really hard. Try doing it for 10 minutes, let alone an entire day. There's this beautiful part in, uh, in chapter 17 where like, they get a rock for Moses to sit on, and there are two guys... Um, her is one of them, I think, Aaron, Aaron and her, and they literally hold up his hands. Like he can't do it himself, but they hold up his hands and, and the Israelites win the battle. And it's, to me, it's just a beautiful picture, isn't it, of, um, well, I don't know, it's a beautiful picture of just being so completely dependent on God in the face of a battle. And here's where I think um, corporate worship is really important. What we're meant to do in corporate worship is actually be Aaron and her for one another. Because you may be someone, you may come to worship and you're like, oh, I've been lifting my hands for so long now, I can't do it anymore. And that's where the body of Christ is meant to come around and say, I'll worship for you. I'm going to lift your hands and God's going to give us the victory. And so if you're in a dark place, and this is what we keep saying about the prayer room, if you're in a dark place, you're going through a difficult time and you've come to corporate worship, the idea is not to be here as an individual. The idea is to come and join the body. <laughs> and we're meant to be a body. We're meant to support one another and, and share in each other's burdens and challenges. And so I really offer up to you the prayer room as a place where you can have your hands lifted up. I've got nothing left but I'm gathered around God's people and I know there are people here who can hold my hands high. Now, I know that for many of you, this might be pushing you out of your spiritual comfort zone. But let me say, the goal of worship is not comfort. The goal of worship is surrender. The goal of worship is not comfort. The goal of worship is surrender. I'm going to finish with this. Traditionally, raised hands is probably best known for two things. The first one is victory. Think about someone scoring a goal in soccer. The hands go up. They're running around. It's a celebration. Think about a bowler. He takes a bowl. He bowls the person out. The hands go up. Either how's that or I got him out. Victory. Victory. So raised hands traditionally is known for victory. Someone points a gun at you, what do you do? Hands go up. Surrender. Victory and surrender. Simultaneously, both things happen in the presence of God. 
God in you. I have victory. <laughs> you have overcome. And God, I am fully surrendered to you. How surrendered are you? God wants to take you on a journey this Christmas. And like the wise men, I implore you, I invite you to come to worship him. Let's make this Christmas the Christmas where each of us grow deeper in our worship of our Lord and Saviour. Christmas is all about Jesus. Let's make it all about him. Let me pray. God, I just thank you for the privilege and opportunity of joining with my brothers and sisters this morning and opening your word and taking a look at what you want to say to us about worship and in particular about lifting our hands in worship. God, I thank you that you're such a good and generous and gentle and loving Father. And I pray that your spirit would just move each of us and take each one of us on a journey that's authentic to who we are. Thank you that we don't have to pretend. Thank you that we don't have to do anything that's not of you. I pray, God, that you might cause each one of us to experience more of you in our lives. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just sweep through this place, that there might be a fresh fire of your Spirit here, Lord, and that this church could be filled of, of biblical worshippers who desire for nothing more than to experience your love, which is better than life. Help us to remember that we worship an audience of one. And thank you that we get to do that in community, in the midst of a people who are there to hold our hands high when we no longer can. Lord, in you we have victory. And before you, we surrender ourselves to you. For you are the sovereign king, the Lord of lords, the king of kings. And it is our joy and our delight to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.